Welcome back to our Sunday Night Bible Book Series as Pastor Tim brings us a message from Joel, chapter 2, verses 12 through 21, entitled, The Need for Revival. The greatest need of the church today is not more money, not more members, ministry opportunities, or more mission outlets. The greatest need of the church today is revival. Our nation needs spiritual awakening. Our churches need a revival of the presence and power and glory of God. Here's Pastor Tim. When I consider our Southern Baptist Convention, I am convinced that we need revival. When I look at the Methodist Church and some of our other mainline denominations, I conclude that we need revival. When I look at our economy, I come to the same conclusion that America needs revival. When I see that we celebrate the month of June now more than we seem to celebrate Christmas and Easter combined, America needs revival. We're living in that kind of day. We come to the book of Joel tonight. I hope that you'll take time and turn there. We see a prophet that is predicting <clears throat> revival. Luke quotes from this book as he describes the actions of Pentecost. We also begin to look forward in our own day to the events of Joel unfolding and there being a national maybe worldwide, a sweeping revival from the Spirit of God. America has not seen a sweeping revival, a national revival, in almost my lifetime. The movie that just recently came out, and some of you just watched, The Jesus Revolution, it talks about some of the events that led up to what we call the Jesus Movement, that really was our last national revival. We saw those events unfolding not only in California, but we saw those things happening at the Methodist School of Asbury in Kentucky. We look at those events and think, can't we have that kind of revival today? And yet what a year it's been. We've seen God revisit Asbury, Kentucky. We've seen God revisit the very same cove where so many people were baptized in the early days of that Jesus revolution. It makes you wonder if we're seeing glimpses of something that God wants to do. I believe that we are. I believe that God wants to send revival to His people far more than His people want to receive it. Far more than we even have a sense of needing revival. This is one of those opportunities where you talk to the choir. Because <laughs> you already know we need revival. We need it in our land, we need it in our churches, we need it in our homes, and we need it as individuals. We need for God to do what only God can do. So tonight I have a series of questions for you as we find our way in Joel chapter number 2. The first question is this, 
Can you sense it? Can you sense the need for revival in our nation? Can you sense a need for revival in our church? Can you sense a need for revival even in your own life? Well, if you do, then what do you do with that? And and what does that what does that sensation, if I can use that word, what is that sensation? What does it feel like? What does it look like? Well, I draw your attention in chapter number two, first of all, to the end of verse number eleven. At the end of verse number eleven, he brings to a conclusion some things that he's been saying that's not so good. He's talking about judgment that's coming to the nation of Judah by means of invasion. And we look back through history and see those things coming true. But I want you to notice what he says at the end of verse number 11. He says, For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And he asked this question, Who can endure it? Who can endure the judgment of God? Who can endure the lack of favor that comes from God? Who can endure His displeasure? There's not one of us, not one of us, not one who's ever lived, who could stand before the Lord on His own merits and have a sense that he doesn't need revival, that he doesn't need to be made right with God somehow. Who can endure it? No one can endure it. So we need some help. We need God to do in America what only God can do in America. And hopefully it looks like this. Let's pick it up in verse number 12. He changes his tone by saying, Now therefore... Because you know that judgment is coming, because this has been declared, and because you too can say, I can't endure this, and no one can, now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and He relents from doing harm. Can you sense it? Can you sense a need for revival? Can you sense a calling in your own life towards these things that are mentioned in these two verses? For example, do you sense a need to return to your Savior? That's number one, return to your Savior. If you want to know what it's like to have that sense, it's a sense of return, a sense of returning back to Him. Just as He says to that uh, church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation, I know your works. I know what what you've done. I know what you're doing. I know how hard you work. I know all of these things. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. It doesn't take long to do that. It doesn't take long for us to get into our own priorities. It doesn't take long for us to leave the Lord and begin to see things from our own perspective and try to figure out the best ways out of trouble. 
It doesn't take long to leave your first love. But sometimes it takes something jarring to get you to return to Him. The question becomes, what will it take? Will it take great judgment like the day of the Lord that is great and terrible? Unendurable? Wouldn't you like to respond to the Lord the way that you always wished your kids would have responded to you? When you speak, they comply. Wouldn't it be easier on us to just hear the warning from God and say, Okay, God, I'm in the wrong and I return to you. It would be easier, but it doesn't often work that way. Here's the good news for you. He's waiting. The idea of returning to the Lord is not your idea. It's not the preacher's idea. It's God's idea. He invites you. Turn to me with all of your heart. He's going to say it again later in that passage in the very next words. Return to the Lord your God. Return back to Him. Confess sin that you have piled up. Turn loose of that. Receive His forgiveness. Return to fellowship with the Lord. You can be in relationship with God and be out of fellowship with God. Every person like that is the person who needs revival. It comes a point of simply admitting that to the Lord God. I know that I belong to you, but I'm not beside you. I know that I am to follow you, but I'm not following you. You simply return to Him. He invites you to do so. But there's a second way that you can tell that revival's on its way. When the reality of your sin so grips your heart that you cannot stand to do nothing. There comes a point of recognizing this is not going to turn itself around. I'm not going to get better just because I want to be better. And so he says in verse number 13, rend your heart. We would say, rend your soul. Return to your Savior. Rend your soul. Rip it. Tear it. He says, rend your heart and not your garments. They had gotten into the, into the idea the, uh, or the motions of going through mourning and grief over sin by, by, by ripping their clothes, by rending their garments, by taking ashes and dumping those things on their head, by sitting in sackcloth and, and being in a time of mourning. It's one thing to go through the motions. It's one thing to rend your garments. It's another thing to rend your heart. God's not interested in a tear in your clothing that can be replaced the very same day. He's interested in a rending of your heart and of your soul that gets down deep to who you are 
that displays brokenness, that shows that I'm serious about my relationship with God, and I understand the severity of my sin before Him. Most of us have been in church long enough to where we begin to think that our sins are somehow overlooked by God. They're not overlooked, they're forgiven. There's a difference, isn't there? Forgiveness requires sacrifice, it requires blood. Without the shedding of blood, there will be no remission of sin. I begin to understand, Jesus went to the cross for me. That's not only something that should awaken me to salvation. It should awaken me out of my spiritual slumber. I'm to return to my Savior. I'm to rend my soul. And thirdly, repent of your sin. Repent of your sin. He doesn't use the word repent, but you see the effects when you say, turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Outward signs of an inward repentance. When is the last time that you fasted for non-medical reasons? I mean, we know what it's like for them to say, hey, you can't eat anything after midnight. At 11.59, you're at the refrigerator snacking. <laughs> you got to get in that last one, right? Some people treat their spiritual life that way. They think of fasting as a punishment. As something that they have to endure. Something horrible and terrible as God's taking something from them. God's not taking anything from you in fasting. You're laying it down. And you're the one who's saying, God, my relationship with you is more important than it is with food, than it is with snacks, than it is with any number of things that the Bible calls us to fast with. When is the last time that you fasted? I want to be very careful in what I say, and I want you to be careful in what you hear. I understand that there are medical needs and medical issues that will cause a person to say, I can't miss a meal. But for the vast majority of us, it already tells on us that we hadn't missed a meal. And we could bear to do that. If you have the physical capability, and don't excuse yourself unless you have been excused, you need to fast. It is the lost discipline in the Christian life, the most neglected of all disciplines. Can you imagine God meeting with you in that hour that you would have spent at lunch or at supper or at breakfast. Maybe for one day, maybe for two days. Maybe for an extended period of time. When you are that focused 
on the person of God, on the Word of God, on the revelation of God, on the Spirit of God at work in your life, don't you know that your spiritual ears are more attuned? That you're ready to hear from Him? When is the last time that you wept? Not over a tearjerker movie, but over your sin. When's the last time that you wept over the sin of our nation? Oh, we complain plenty, but we weep very little. When is the last time that you mourned and grieved the result of your sin before a holy God? When I repent of my sin, I am ready for revival. I can sense it. I can sense my need. I can sense my desperate need. And it comes to a point of saying, whatever it takes for me to lay aside or be aside, that's what it takes to be in right relationship with God. I'm ready to do it. Can you sense it? Then how do we set up for it? That's my second question. How do we set up for it? How do we set up for revival? How do you really prepare yourself for those things? <clears throat> Let's skip verse number 14. We'll come back to it in just a little bit. Look at verse number 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Let me give you these three things. Number one, in trying to prepare for revival or set up for it, call for purity. Call for purity. <clears throat> call for purity in your own life. Call for purity in your church, in your family. Call for purity in our nation. Call for purity. Call for holiness. He uses the words, consecrate and sacred, both in that verse. Both of those words are built off of the word for holiness. All I'm doing is recognizing that God is holy and that I'm not. I want to prepare my life. I want to repent of my sins. I want to rend my soul. I want to return to the Savior so that I can bear to be in the presence of His holiness. I call for, I demand purity and righteousness in my own life. No more putting up with the, the little sins that we think don't add up. No longer being able to put up with those sins that are grievous if they were to be done by somebody else. But as long as they're mine, I, I have reason and excuse. No more excuses. No more reasons. I call to holiness. 
God says, you be holy because I am holy. If I want to walk in right fellowship with God, shouldn't holiness play a part in that? How do I walk with Him when I'm covered in filth? Pastor Tim thanks you for joining us today. And he would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at britdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Brit David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.